Tia Levings was recruited into a Christian fundamentalist movement as a young wife. She quickly learned that being a godly and submissive wife in the Christian patriarchy included strict discipline, isolation, and required women to be silent keepers of the home. Years of pain and abuse followed. But after becoming a mother, Tia realized that she was the only one who could protect her children from becoming the next generation of patriarchal men and submissive women. That's when she fled with her children. I love, love, love this quote from Tia. Today it hit me, when he hit me, blood shaking my brain. Maybe there wasn't a savior coming. Maybe it was up to me to save me. All of this is documented in Tia's new book, A Well-Trained Wife, My Escape from Christian Patriarchy. That comes out in August, and I'm so excited for it. Since Tia escaped from that life, she's become committed to growth, empowerment, and connection, and helping others to survive the trauma and to escape the Christian fundamentalist lifestyle. One of the things she says a lot that really gets to me is if we continue to ignore the messages that the fundamental evangelical Christian community are sending out to us, then we're just plunging this country right into the near future of the book The Handmaid's Tale. Tia was a trad wife and she escaped. And she has written beautifully about the inhumanity of trad wife life and why it is not something to be celebrated with beautiful pictures on social media. We are so lucky to have Tia on the podcast today. So my name is Tia Lovings, and today I educate on the abuses in Christian fundamentalism. I grew up in a Southern Baptist mega church in the 90s, and the evangelical church politicized at the same rate that my character developed, my personhood developed into adulthood, into my life. So um, everything that we see today related to evangelicism was in its seed format in the 90s. Um, which is just a very interesting backdrop for the drama that became a big chunk of my adult life. I'm the proud mama of five and had nine pregnancies in high control religion, otherwise known as the Christian patriarchy. Um, Some listeners may be familiar with that. Um, If they've seen the Duggar show, the 19 kids and counting, Um, Mm. I was part of the Institute of Basic Life Principles, which we call the IBLP. And then from there, I moved into an ever-narrowing, high-control religious path that landed me in a cult that I was excommunicated from and then had to actually escape from in a very dramatic midnight um, escape from a violent marriage. Um, I call it church-sanctioned domestic abuse. Um, Aside from that, I'm also a content marketer, busy mom, play the flute, hike, walk, cook. I'm a grandma now got two little grandsons. They were born a month apart. They were supposed to be born on the same day, but one came early. That's so, that's so awesome. I'm I'm so in the thick of it with little kids. I've got a six, a four, and a one that Ooh. my grandma days seem real far away. <laughs> well, and I let me commend you to be able to write and create anything else other than human beings at this point in your life is incredible. Thank you. Thank you. And some days it feels impossible. And mm-hmm. so I, yes, I appreciate, I appreciate all of those words. I really, really do. 
I want to I want to go back to a little bit of what you were saying, just so our audience understands better. When you say high control, what does that mean? That is a broad term that we were using in the. There's a segment online that that considers ourselves ex-evangelical that we are deconstructing our faith, and high control religion is a phrase that we use to describe the kind of traditions that we come from that are not as clear as denominational lines. So when we have somebody Mm -hmm. from a Baptist background relating to something that the fundamentalist LDS um, church espouses, those are two groups that don't think the other is a real Christian, but we actually have the same experiences. And so um, when you're looking at a power dynamic in religion that is high control in every way, it's a power structure that's usually top down. There's an authoritarianism there. There's an understood subjugation of women. And the life choices that you make will be controlled and determined by your religious belief. And so are you religious today? What what would you consider what what would you consider yourself now? I call myself spiritually private today. That Mm -hmm. is a very careful answer because I grew up in a tradition that number one embraces asking people deeply personal questions about their core beliefs. Um, it's That's what evangelism is at its heart, is that you're going to approach strangers and ask them about their eternity and their, and their deepest faith. Um, also, because I have a fundamentalist background, I resist putting myself into any kind of binary or box. I love binaries and boxes. They make me feel safe. That's what fundamentalism does. It takes chaos and creates order. Um, so it's very important to me in recovery to avoid putting myself into that kind of space. Um, and also faith is very fluid and it grows and evolves as we grow and evolve. And I want to allow some room for that. So saying that I'm spiritually private um, sends a message also that we get to respect this autonomy in one another. And it um, and it provides me that safety. Yeah, I love that answer. And I ask because I get so many messages from Christian women who say they so often feel attacked by mainstream media. And they're like, I'm just this regular Christian lady that like, you know, I'm Episcopal, I'm Lutheran, I go to the church, but we don't see enough of me in the world. Mm -hmm. So thank you for having different kinds of opinions on when we're not attacking each other. And I'm like, well, that would be a, it, it would be a lovely world if we could all just have these conversations without attacking each other. Uh, and I try to be really open about my own faith. I was raised Catholic light. So, you know, since we went to church for uh, midnight mass and sometimes Easter and that's about it. And then I went to all girls Catholic school in high school. Uh, which was a shock to the system, but it was because I was a 13-year-old juvenile delinquent in middle school. Mm -hmm. And we had to do things like pray for our unborn babies and all of the babies that may be aborted in the world, which was shocking to me. And now Mm -hmm. I'm fairly agnostic and I'm I'm very open about that. But I love the idea of being spiritual and I love the idea of faith. I just fucking hate the patriarchy. And that is what I rub up against with mostly mostly every religion, major religion on the planet. I wrote a whole book called If Nuns Ruled the World. I love Catholic nuns. I think many of them are badass feminists. But the patriarchy, they get me every time. Mm-hmm. Every time. Um, and so that's where I am. And I just like, I like to put it all out there so, so that listeners never think I'm, I'm trying to 
push anything on anyone. I'm like, this is me. This is what I think. Now let's talk about this. Well, it's you said a lot right there. And what's really important that um, a couple things that came up was to remember one another's humanity, that we are more than the beliefs that we espouse. Um, also, anyone who says I'm just a regular old Christmas Christian lady, that doesn't exist anymore. And one of the problems is that the faith faith based groups have not done a good job of cleaning their house. And they have been taken over by extremists. So that's why it's very important we have these conversations. The the patriarchy um, is a big, big umbrella term for um, some very strategic and specific dominionists in America. And they have an agenda. They share it. They congregate. It's open every single Sunday. They talk about this. It's um, something that happened right under America's nose. And if we don't talk about it, we're going to lose our ability to talk about it. So um, that's that's my log on the fire to burn the patriarchy down is that I lived the most extreme version of this and I will tell. Yeah, yeah. And and you did live the most extreme version of this. I don't want you to give away anything from from your wonderful book. But what did the most extreme version of this look like for you? without giving away the sure. whole thing. Sure. Well, um, and I do give away a lot online. So if you're, and I was in Shiny Happy People and a lot came out in that too on Amazon. So, um, so the high points are definitely there. In the 90s, um, through primarily the homeschooling movement, a very conservative brand of Christianity found a foothold. Um, I was becoming a young wife and mother at that time. So I bought in um, as a way to be a better wife and mother, solve some problems in my marriage. Um, fundamentalism always offers solutions to these problems. Um, they they promise to take your chaos and make it um, glorify God and be orderly and calming to the nervous system. So um, I had all of that. I was a traumatized young wife living in abuse and I needed a way. Um, and so I call them my Gothard Fundy mentors. This was a group of people in our big, big church. There were 20,000 people on the roll at First Baptist. Um, but we had a church within a church, and that was Bill Gothard's evangelistic um, strategy to go um, into these churches. They would send believers into these churches to recruit from within. Um, and so I was prime material. I was a young, hungry wife who needed guidance. And the Bible says, let the younger women turn to the older women to learn how to be wives and mothers. So um, I thought I was doing the right thing. I asked these women to help teach me. They did. They taught me their fundamentalism. And so through a series of restrictions of things I was not to do and practices I was to implement, um, which ultimately resulted in what we call today the trad wife lifestyle, that's basically what this resulted in. Um, it, the, the world just became more and more restrictive at the same time. There's no end. There's no, there's no point in fundamentalism where you're holy enough, pure enough, working hard enough, sacrificing enough, suffering enough. And so it drilled down as my then husband became more theological. Um, he was looking for more solutions, you know, to this patriarchal um, umbrella of authority. If anyone's seen Shiny Happy People, there's a really good graphic of what the um, umbrella of authority is, which is basically God, husband, wife, and children are at the bottom. Um, it's meant to protect you, and instead it exploits like a pyramid scheme. And um, at, the, at the very end, I ended up in a very high control 
cult, um, was excommunicated from my writing and had to escape violence that my church said was okay. My church said this is, um, and I don't mean my one congregation, I mean my entire faith group condones patriarchal authority structures that taken to their end result in physical violence that a husband is supposedly justified in doing because he's the authority in his home. He's the head of household. Um, sometimes I call my story the prequel to The Handmaid's Tale. So if you watched The Handmaid's Tale and you felt, wow, this is really close to reality, um, yes, I can tell you I lived I lived in the world that would have resulted in that. And it's important to remember that Atwood used real fundamentalist groups as her model. Yes, I do watch The Handmaid's Tale and think, wow, we live in we 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 live we live in the just before times of this world. So yes. just before times. Absolutely. Absolutely. We are gonna take a really quick break. And when we get back, I wanna talk about some of the incredible subsects you've been writing lately that by the way, people send me send me these every single day. Your subsect is called the anti-fundamentalist. So good. Um, and I want to dive into some of them. Uh, one of the headlines is what it's really like to be a trad wife. Under the Influence is brought to you by Green Chef. Green Chef is one of the ways that I'm trying to make life just a little bit easier as both a mom of three children and as a woman who feels like they have four full time jobs. I mean, I think I actually do have four full-time jobs at this point. Green Chef is a meal kit company that makes eating well easy with plans to fit absolutely every lifestyle and all of your picky eaters. And I've got a lot of picky eaters in this house. Whether you are keto, paleo, vegan, vegetarian, gluten-free, or just looking to eat more balanced meals and not be the only person in your house taking on the mental load of meal planning and grocery shopping and all of those things that make us exhausted, Green Chef will have recipes to suit your preferences and your household. Every week, you get to choose from more than 80 flavor-packed options, including their new Calorie Smart recipes and their wellness bundles, which we've been talking about that a lot. Apparently, January and February are the months where we, we think about those kinds of things. Green Chef offers unique farm-fresh ingredients like figs and dates and artichokes and sustainably sourced seafood. It's also easy. It's so easy. They deliver everything you need to make convenient and delicious meals right to your doorstep. Right there. That's where I, that's where I want it. Want it dropped off right at my door. So go to greenchef.com slash 60 under the influence and use the code 60 under the influence to get 60% off plus 20% off your next two months. That is greenchef.com slash 60 under the influence with the code 60 under the influence to get 60% off plus 20% off your next two months. Green Chef is the number one meal kit for eating well for a reason. Under the Influence is also sponsored by Etitude. I prioritize sleep. I prioritize sleep over a lot of other things. I am maybe not as social as I would like to be because sleep is a major, major part of keeping me sane. It just is. It is. And I love these attitude sheets because when you're prioritizing sleep, you just want to climb into bed and make it feel like a cloud. You do. And these are so soft and so cozy. And they look good even when my bed's not made. 
Sometimes I'm snapping an Instagram and my messy bed is behind me and people are still like, those are some good looking sheets. They are. These unbelievably soft, clean bamboo sheets have over 20,000 five-star reviews, which is a lot of five-star reviews. I would love the Sicilian inheritance to have that many five-star reviews. In a controlled sleep study, sleep efficacy was improved by 1.5% per night. I feel good sleeping on these guys. I do. Simply put, these Attitude sheets are helping me get better sleep. And Attitude is so sure that you're going to love sleeping with them that you can try any Attitude bedding risk-free for 30 nights. And if you're not completely satisfied, you can return it for a full refund. Never miss a good night's rest again. You can't. You have too much to do. You can get $35 off your order of $175 or more, plus free shipping for a limited time when you visit attitude.com slash under the influence. That is attitude.com slash under the influence for $35 off your order of $175 or more, plus free shipping for a limited time. Happy sleeping, friends. It's time to get cozy. We are back, and I really, I've, I've spent a lot of time on your Substack lately. I feel like I, I do feel like I, I, I know you personally now because I've been reading all about your life, and the one that I started with was what it's really like to be a trad wife. And this, this is so interesting to me because we see the hashtags, we see the influencers, and I want you to tell our audience the real story. What is it really like? Yeah, and I think this is important. One of the benefits of listening to someone who's experienced it is that I can bring a humanity to the situation that might be lacking if you're an outsider looking in. And there are a lot of outsiders looking in because social media has be, has given us such a platform um, and visibility that we used to have to share at a homeschooling convention or within our churches. You know, it was very one-to-one in the 90s. Um, and then we had blogging. So I was a big lifestyle blogger when blogging was brand new. And so I have another Substack piece called I Would Have Been a Trad Wife Influencer because when I was a trad wife, that's absolutely what I would have done. There's a lot of um, validation found in getting someone else to admire your lifestyle and sign on to it. And that's the evangelistic method that is promoted and used because it has a religious root, you know. So at its essence, I think of the trad wife life as a kind of a spectrum. And it's important to remember that at its essence, it is an abbreviation for traditional housewife. Um, a traditional housewife mm -hmm. that with, if that's what we're going to call it, that broadens the amount of people who would find this lifestyle attractive. When we have a political system in power that is um, screaming traditional, quote, traditional values at us, they're talking about the same kind of belief system that we see in the trad wife life and that we raise, you know, we raise these red flags around. But if we broaden it and pull the lens back a little, we're like, OK, hold on a second. This is different flavors of the same thing. Um, what it's like to actually be a trad wife is like stepping back in time. We did it willfully because we had we had the past so heavily romanticized through, you know, like Little House on the Prairie and Jane Austen and the 50s perfect Leave it to Beaver life. We we had the past so glorified as an aesthetic that it seemed safe 
to emulate and that um, we would find happier families, happier marriages, um, better wellness, all of these things that the trad wife life kind of espouses, we would find solutions to our problems in. Um, so it does become an all-consuming lifestyle. And like, I don't think the average trad wife life person walks into that and says, oh, I want to, you know, be, I want to look like it's 1845 or <laughs> look like it's 19. Mm -hmm. Right. I, I think they think they want to live on, live well on one income or be home with their children or cook really good food with that looks pretty. Um, the, the biggest difference between what I lived through and what I see today online is that we didn't have social media. So we didn't have as much performance pressure to make every single step aesthetic. And I'm, that's where the horror lies for me right now, because it isn't pretty behind closed doors, offset, offstage. You know, the, the trad wife life is ugly and it's oppressive and it takes away rights and children suffer and women suffer. And you boil the water that will kill you with your own hands. Like it's, it's a life that women build for themselves and it's a prison that they build for themselves. So you don't see that while it's happening. You just think you're, you know, doing this pretty thing, this kind thing. You know, motherhood was my gateway because I was a young mama and I loved being a mama and I wanted to be home with my babies and I wanted my baby not to cry in the night. That was, that was the thing that first led me to raise my hand. I asked for help getting my baby to sleep through the night. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, go, one thing, so many things you said resonated with me, but one of them is this kind of promise of safety and security is a really powerful drug. I think we are, we are all, especially I know when I became a mom, became desperate for a stable life, for a secure life. And I think there's a lot of promises of that that come with the fundamentalist movement, you know, it's like, oh, okay, yes, yeah, someone, someone's going to support you. You can stay home with your babies. This can, this, this can be a beautiful time for you. And like you said, it that once you get inside of it, that's when the abuse starts. One of the most insidious things about it, though, is that when you pull the lens back even further, you see how it's a world of their own making. So the world is a scary place right now, and it makes you want to keep your babies safe. But if we take a look at why the world is scary right now, we look, we immediately see moms don't have the resources that they need. There's no health care. They took away a board of health care. There's no um, safe, like social security is going away. There's wars fought in different places. They're making it that way. So they kind of do, and I say they, the patriarchal leadership, they kind of do it um, in tandem. The message to women is, well, if you want to be safe, you got to come home um, and you need to, you know have more babies and, you know, and then they elevate it to a calling so that any ambition and frustration that you feel you can then medicate with by reminding yourself that this is the highest calling you can have on your life. And, and they put this religiosity onto it. And at the same time, they're making our world less secure, more frightening. And, and so it drives us that way. Their ultimate goal is to get women out of the workforce. They don't want women in the workforce. They don't want to share leadership with women. They can't force us home. What they have to do is get other women to convince us to come home. And I love home. Like, I don't want to say bad things about home. Home is great. Um, but it's, home can be a prison if that's the only option that you have in your life. 
Yes, 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 and and yes, and that's what I what I say when I talk about why do I think that trad wife content is dangerous, and I think because it is it is glorifying women giving up their agency and women giving up their power and saying, oh, it's it's easy for you to stay home, so why would you need childcare? Why would you need systemic help? Why would you need the government to actually care for women and children? And by making this life look so beautiful and easy. That's the bait. Um, that's right. You're absolutely right. But it's to an end. They don't just want you to not have child care and not have options because they're be- they're meanie butts. You know, they're not just like big, bad right. monster guys mm-hmm. that just don't think women deserve nice things. They have to eliminate those things because that's part of their world order that they have for dominionism. And if you back this up and you look at the religious roots of it, it's called the Seven Mountains Mandate. And it's a very specific strategy to take religious dominion of America and then the globe. Um, they can't ha- they can't have any of that stuff in the way. They can't they can't have a socialist a society where people's needs are met because they need an authoritative power structure in order to meet their goals. So when you have like the rise of authoritarianism, suddenly it becomes really important that we protect other people's rights to do something that we may not choose for ourselves. Women can still choose to be home with your babies, but you should vote in a way that protects someone else's right to have choices because they don't have the same life that you have. And if you know, and one of the things that happens in religious fundamentalism is they will take our religious freedom and they will exploit it for their own benefit. They want religious freedom only to gain power so that they can then take away yours because their future does not have religious freedom. We are all one kind. We are all one Christian in their vision. And we know this because we look at the way they live. That's the really important thing that makes this not a conspiracy theory or something that's like just conjured. We can just look at the way they live. And I do believe deeply because I've lived it that the way they run their homes is the way they run around the country. So if you want to see what it's like to be under their headship, you have to listen to the people who live in their homes, which means you have to center survivors of religious trauma. They're the ones that are going to tell you what it's like to live in that life. And you write so beautifully about what it was like to live in that kind of life. Another one of your essays on Substack that I loved was the chronic fatigue of the trad wife life. Can I, can I just read a couple of lines of it oh, for, sure. for our listeners who haven't read it yet? This happened every day at 3 p.m. 18 years ago. Because of the work I did, it also happened at 3 p.m. every day this week. The fatigue starts at the back of my throat, which is also the front of my cervical spine. My cheeks hollow as my mouth waters hot with the tang of anxiety. My shoulders droop. The wave of exhaustion progresses over my body like the lengthening shadow of late afternoon. You're such a good writer, by the way. This, that, 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 that's beautiful. But, but talk, to, talk to me about that. Talk to me about the chronic fatigue of the trad wife life. So I spend a lot of time with religious trauma survivors, and we all come away from that life with a host of autoimmune symptoms, um, chronic fatigue, exhaustion, um, body memory. And, you know, you've probably heard the phrase, the body keeps the score in relation to trauma. It's also a very well-known book. Um, But the body memory 
of how your system, your nervous system in particular, records and reacts to the stresses. Um, it isn't something that leaves you very easily and without a lot of treatment. So complex PTSD is what we're wearing. It's what we carry with us. And so in that piece, I was reflecting how writing about the Chad life that week was also calling back in my body to what it was like every afternoon when I knew daddy's about to be home. And for me, that meant I could be in really big trouble. I could be beaten. I could be spanked. I could be scolded. I needed to have everything perfect. So here's where the imagery of the trad wife life that you might have encountered online comes in because that's showtime. When daddy walks in the door is showtime. You better have all your children behaving. There is no like, no, there's no exhausted mother handing off a baby when dad walks in because you finally have your partner at home. It's the reverse opposite of that. Every child must be clean, well-behaved. You're going to report on your day. You're going to serve his needs and all of his creature comforts. You're not going to inundate him with your problems or what you encountered in the day because that is not what is important to him. What he needs is to relax after he's had a long, hard day at work. Um, So it's not like the 50s housewife with a drink in hand, although I suppose some secular trad wives might be doing that. The Christian trad wives don't do the drink part, um, but they do everything else. I mean, there could be sexual mm-hmm. favor, you know, as soon as you walk in the door, it could be whatever it is, whatever he wants. Um, and so that takes a panic toll, adrenaline, cortisol, um, the, the fact that there are consequences for behaviors during the day um, takes a toll. So the exhaustion is something that stays in your body and can mask and cause other physical symptoms, you know, that are somebody may go to the doctor and say, I'm having this physical symptom and not ever trace it back to the traumatic root. Um, So that's what Mm -hmm. that, you know, the exhaustion is pervasive. It's profound. It's uh, you've had babies. So you know how you how you feel at the two week mark where you haven't slept. You you gave birth. Then you didn't sleep for two weeks. (laughs) You've been on call for 24-7. That kind of bone exhaustion is what it's like almost every day. Yeah. Yeah. No, I mean, I remember that that well, that, yes. I And, you know, the body also desperately wants to forget about it because otherwise we wouldn't keep having babies. <laughs> but, um, actually, I mean, now I, I have to say, honestly, now that I've hit 14 months, with what will absolutely be my last child because we got my husband snipped. Um, mm-hmm. And I, I use that language because I'm like, it's like I just took him to the vet and I just snipped him. Right, right. Just, we're done fixed. with that. Um, we got, he got fixed. I fixed him. Um, I forget it. I, to- I have a friend that's going through it right now and she's like, this is pure hell. And I'm like, oh yeah, I forgot. I forgot that's what it's like. It's true. It's true. But the body does keep score and it does come back to you. And I imagine writing all of this, you write about this almost every day, the trauma must come back to you all the time. Yes and no. Um, I have been in 16 years of intense trauma therapy, um, and I've learned to metabolize much of it so I can tell my story without re-traumatizing myself. I can talk about it and work with survivors. Triggers being what they are, you know, you don't always have a lot of... um, like advance notice of a trigger, you know, it's sudden, it's, it's what comes up. Mm-hmm. And in this particular week, when the trad wife life started really becoming part of the big conversation again, 
um, the things that got me are the the incongruency between the glossy images and the reality, um, and some of the condensation of people who don't understand that these these women choose this life because they think it's going to make them happy, and in that way we're all the same. So having some compassion for their humanity is really important. Um, and also, if you don't want to commit the exact same mistake that they're doing, um, you have to extend some compassion to the excavation and exploration process. What they're doing and what they're taught to do is systematically deny other people's humanity. And we don't want to be like that. You know, we don't want to just be the same thing in reverse. So to like contextualize and deepen the conversation means, okay, well, I can see why they would choose something like that. It's the the people teaching mm -hmm. it to them aren't leading with the with the reality. They aren't being told, you know, there's no informed consent in this world. There's no consent at all. So they're not like saying, "Hey, you know, let your husband spank you. It'll, it'll be fine." You know, they're not they're not saying that that's even going to happen. In fact, they would feign shock that that ever ever happens. Like, you know, that's not mm -hmm. that's not common. Mm -hmm. Absolutely common, but. Right. That's not right. It is, it is common. There there is a there is a lot of physical abuse that clearly is not talked about. Um mm -hmm. and it's definitely something that is never seen in these glossy images on mm -hmm. on social media, right? And people are very married to their own experience. So when you have someone who's a prominent um influencer, they may say, "Well, I've never experienced that, so therefore it must not exist because they don't have any capacity to mm -hmm. think beyond their own experience and they and I encounter that all of the time in the survivor community. Um, two of my biggest arguments that I come up against are the not all Christians argument, and also, um well, mm -hmm. that wasn't my mm -hmm. experience, so therefore it must not be real right, right. How much can you tell us about how you personally escaped from this life yeah this this part is um shared in depth in other places but i mean the, the the high points of it are that i had gotten excommunicated because i wrote about mary and the mother of jesus mm -hmm. um and i wasn't supposed to be writing in my own name i wasn't supposed to be writing at all i had a very well trafficked lifestyle blog at the time um, when blogging was brand new, there wasn't a thing called an algorithm yet. There, you know, it was it was a free for all. And um, my blog was called Living Deliberately, and it got thousands of hits a day. And so it was, you know, doing well. And um, that drove the elders pretty crazy. <laughs> so I got I was excommunicated well, okay. with without the external power structure of elders and a pastor and church. You know, that was. Um, Keeping us in line, my husband, who was very mentally ill, also not coping very well as a patriarch, because there's a whole whole line of dialogue to have about this with how the men suffer in patriarchy, um, especially if they aren't the alpha male, you know, the one on top. So he wasn't doing well, and he couldn't cope with um, that lack of external um, control. And several months passed, and things got as close to hell on earth as it can get. Um, and then there was a midnight um, hostage situation, four hours of being held hostage and um, a tiny little window where I was, there was a magical opening in the universe and a voice in my heart that said run. And so I grabbed my kids out of their bed and we ran. It's fucking brave it, it, is, is what it is. And I, 
I wanted to ask that because I do think that there are a lot of women who are in a similar situation that you were in who who do feel hopeless, who are like, I can't leave. There's not a way out. I don't mm-hmm. I don't see the path out. And and I'm sure that you've encountered this with all of the work that you've done with survivors, but just hearing that someone else did it is sometimes enough to start making your own way. Have you experienced that with other women that you've worked with? Yeah, my whole hope with with writing my story um, was that I would help one woman who was in her kitchen. I have this like kind of image where she picks a book up at Walmart or at Target, like someplace she mm-hmm. shops anyway because she probably doesn't get to go to a bookstore. Um, and she picks it up and throws it in her cart and she gets to read it. And something I say gives her enough of a model for how it can happen and how you can recover because you have to kind of believe that there's something better out there for you. When you're that desperate, I knew I was on the verge of becoming another murder-suicide story on the cover of People magazine. I knew that that was going to be the fate of our family, or I was going to um, take care of things myself and die. I wasn't, um, I knew we were at the end. And so having something like that, if I could just have known that there was something out there for me, would have helped me maybe leave by daylight. Maybe I could have done this differently without it getting so desperate and so close to the edge. Um, And that has happened. Like I've heard from those women as a result of my work online. So I know like it didn't need the book coming out for that to happen. But that is the, that is Mm -hmm. the how for outcome. That's why I went for a traditional publishing route. I want a wide distribution for my story. I have a highly relevant story because the tradition I come from is what's rising to power in America right now. And it is very important that the average average Christian that we started talking about at the beginning of this interview um, understands what's happening. Like that this vote, if you vote for Donald Trump this election, it may be the last vote you ever cast because authoritative government mm-hmm. systems do not allow, they're not pro-democracy. And they floated head of household voting at the last RNC. I am not, um, I was not allowed to vote when I was in this world. There was no, there was no voting for women. So, and listening, mm-hmm. listening to that and really understanding that's the stake. It's not like, well, do you like this candidate or not? No, we don't. That's a luxury. That's a privileged luxury that we do not have in 2024. Yeah. When was the first time you got to vote? Hmm. Well, I voted as a young woman. Um, before we had that kind of teaching in our home. Um, so it was mm-hmm. the Clinton, which one was it? Clinton Gore uh, with, yeah, I voted in uh-huh. that election, with Al Gore, but I didn't get to vote for him, of course. I was, that was my secret. <laughs> but then I wasn't uh-huh. because we were in something called Federalist Marriage, which is another brand of fundamentalism um, from Doug Wilson out in Moscow, Idaho. Um, and the women in that tradition only vote when they need the popular vote, which they're trying to do away with. So it's, you know, it'll, mm-hmm. it's a big, complicated issue. He would know. He said I could vote if I would vote the way he voted. You can't have a wife that will vote differently than her husband. That's the big theological argument for it. But really, it's to eliminate women voters. It's a go back to the times before suffrage. So um, he knew he would know that I was lying. I couldn't vote for Pat Robertson. I couldn't do it. And so <laughs> I was not allowed to vote. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. 
Um, I mean, just it's it's just the chapter before Handmaid's Tale starts. Just that one chapter before Atwood started writing. That's really, really what it what it feels like. I got chills when you talked about that woman who might be walking through Walmart and might see your book and then secretly put it in her shopping cart. I know that we have some traditional wives who listen to this show and who listen to this show, you know, very, there are some who listen to this show just so they can get angry with me. Um, But I know that there are some who listen to this show and appreciate a lot of the messages that they get here. What, what do you want to tell those women who are still stuck in this world? Hmm. I think about this because I, I have to think about like, well, what would have reached me? Um, and what did reach mm-hmm. me ultimately was that um, knowing that the world out here is not anything like what they told me it would be. I am not alone. I've never been alone. Like a community of people rose up around me to help me. Um, and I and they didn't pressure me with their ideologies. Like I had come from a religious background where I was told what to think and believe from my earliest childhood days. Out here, I was allowed to think for myself and that at the pace that I needed. So leaving is not necessarily a, a wholesale change of your mind on everything. It's about being safe and learning to have your autonomy respected um, and in turn respect others' autonomy. Um, the big thing that drove me out was my children. I did not want to raise the next generation of patriarchs, and I did not want to raise girls who thought it was okay to accept abuse. Um, and I recognized mm-hmm. my power as a mother was to break a cycle and that it could stop with me, and it did stop with me. My family line, my children are happy, healthy adults, and they're not fundamentalists today because their mom left. And I know that there's a stigma when you're in that world of being the one who leaves. Um, you didn't break your marriage. You didn't break your belief system. It was already broken. What you're saying is this stops with me and I'm, we're, we're going to do it differently out here. So, um, yeah, I think I said something in, in Shiny Happy People that a lot of people resonated with and it's that the universe will catch you. Um, and it's true. Mm-hmm. It's true. I've been supported every single step of the way. That is all that we have for today. I am in awe of Tia and everything that she has done and everything that she is doing. She is a force of a woman and and a human in the world. You can pre-order her book now, A Well-Trained Wife, My Escape from Christian Patriarchy. It comes out in August. But if you need more Tia immediately, she is very online and her work is incredible. You can find her on the Instagram at Tia Levings Writer. Her website is tialevings.com and her substack is called The Anti-Fundamentalist. Thank you for being here with us today. Go have a great one. Do something nice for yourself. You deserve it.